Hi, welcome to our Work Together Anywhere podcast series. Thank you for joining us today, and we're delighted to have you involved. This series is specifically designed by Rico UK to help you navigate the challenges and opportunities organisations face today. From a pandemic to Brexit, from empowering your people to optimising the workplace, whether it's process automation or IT infrastructure and cloud services, there is something here for everyone. These podcasts contain the latest advice and good practice from industry experts and business leaders. We'll be sharing knowledge and helpful strategies to guide you, your people and your organisation towards your business goals. Before we get started, just a reminder, you can find on-demand webinars, upcoming events and our podcasts at insights.rico.co.uk. Simply click register for webinars. Now let's begin. Hi and welcome to the podcast. This is about pushing the workplace reset button. Um, so today I'm really excited. I'm uh, I'm joined by Neil Usher and I'll let him introduce himself in a second. And I'm Simone. I am the workplace consultancy director over at Rico. So this uh, has been obviously an interesting topic for me over the last kind of year. So at that point, I'll uh, pass over to Neil and let him introduce himself. Hi, good afternoon. Great to be here. So appreciating the invitation. Neil Usher, Chief Workplace and Change Strategist at GoSpace AI um, and veteran of almost 30 years in the corporate real estate industry. And uh, how, how have you found that last 30 years compared to the last year? Just revving up, just getting going, really, just starting to learn yeah. a few things that I think might be useful for the rest <laughs> of the career. <laughs> it's, it feels like it's been one of them kind of years, isn't it? Um, it definitely has. I think there's been a lot to think about, a lot to learn, a lot of uh, new experiences, and we have to be grateful for being presented with opportunities to learn. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, trying to retain an optimism about it all, and uh, and and starting to just see the first sort of, uh, you know, shards of light of a of a way forward. I think. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like like you. I think I'm I'm really excited about what the future kind of holds. Really embracing all of this. I guess there's been a lot of a lot of change already. Um, and yeah, a lot more to come in the future. But like, what what for you has been the kind of biggest learning point takeaway from from the last year or so? Um, I think really it's um it's more about the sort of conversations we've had, and I think that um sort of platforms like like LinkedIn have created and sustained this sort of massive distortion of reality um that sort of for, you know for the majority of working people um very little has actually changed you know about around about 60 percent of people don't don't work in an office uh, and they've been going to work as normal um just having to deal with a lot more difficult circumstances and a lot more personal risk in many instances um but the difficulty is i think that with some of these social channels the whole debate is actually governed by the sort of the the, the small minority of knowledge workers who have the time and the interest in engaging in this sort of debate and i think now we're actually talking about um the sort of the, the way forward now we're talking about sort of what 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 the world will unfold into over the next six to nine months i think we're starting to realize that much of that debate that we've engaged in over the last 12 months has been in a very small bubble um and we're starting to sort of you know peek out really through the gaps and start to realize that there's been a lot more going on out there than we've probably even been aware of yeah absolutely agree i mean i 
I think I, I do get a little bit frustrated that we, we kind of stay in our bubble. And I think, you know, we've got a, a tendency, I guess, to sit around tables and talk to people that already agree with us. And actually there's a there's a whole different world outside of the kind of the workplace and you know your circles on LinkedIn and things. I think for me, you know, I've been working with a logistics company. That is a whole different experience to another company I've been working with. It's an insurance company. So you, you can see how different ends of the spectrum have had different challenges. Um, so. uh, and there's onus on us all really to, to understand that. I think it's 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 going to be really important that we we start to when we think about workplace that we think about everyone, not just not just ourselves. Because we have to remember that we've we've sort of atomized in the last 12 months. We've we've naturally, because we've been working in in our own homes, we've been very focused on ourselves what it is we want, what we expect to see when we go back to work, not what the, our community expects or the broader sort of societal Im, implications of this might be, but just really focused on us. And so all of those surveys, all that data collection about what people actually want is really all about what we want as individuals. So all of the sort of the, the insight and the, the knowledge we've gathered over the last 12 months has been this amalgam of a whole series of individuals and individual requirements. And we've almost forgotten to think like a community. And that's gonna have to be one of the big the big sort of changes over the next six months or so. Yeah, I mean, interestingly, I, um, I watched a um, TED talk yesterday um, by Michael um, Anderson, and it was all about that kind of the difference between a cult um, where the onus and the, the focus is all on the, the leader and it's them that are brilliant towards an actual culture where it's, the, it's about the people. And I think that that kind of tribal thinking, I guess, is something that has been really relevant, I guess, you know, for, for a while now. But I, I guess especially in the last year when we found ourselves in bubbles and all sorts of other things like that. But what what do you think that will look like kind of going going forward? Um, I think as we start to emerge from lockdowns, I think we'll, we'll start to see more of the world again and we'll start to get a much broader appreciation of of sort of what everyone else is doing, much more broader appreciation of our sort of immediate circles. Everybody's talking about, um, you know, their work in their organizations when they think about going, you know, potentially going back to an office or spending some time in the office. And they forget that even in their own organizations, they exist in a much broader community of suppliers and customers and clients and uh, and, and those people who, who have sort of more transient interactions with their business. So I think it's it's going to be absolutely vital for us to sort of rebuild that awareness of the world around us. It, I'm, I'm not being critical of our sort of very narrow thinking. I think it's a natural response to the situation we've been placed in. And I think by the same token, there'll also be a, a natural reawakening of our awareness of, of what it means to be in a in an enriched community with with a lot of personal interaction. And, and, and that can only be you know hugely beneficial for society as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if somebody had asked me a year ago, you know, do you want to spend the next year working from home? I think as an introvert, I'd have probably tried to do a cartwheel. And I think now I'm at the point where I can't wait to see some people. Um, I think when it gets to the point where I'm desperately seeking social interaction, I think actually, you know, that it feels like the pendulum has swung far too much in one direction and we need to kind of recalibrate it somewhere in the middle. And there's always a balance in in just about everything. Um, in workplace arrives at a balance in you know over time 
we, we sort of lurch to the sort of the more extreme solutions and, and gradually that sort of pendulum does swing backwards and I think we'll we'll find it swinging backwards again. I'm yeah. sure we'll talk at some point about hybrid. I don't think the pendulum swing, mm -hmm. swinging back means hybrid working or, or a hybrid organisation, but mm -hmm. it just means that, that we will start to appreciate the time we spend with others and appreciate rather than take for granted all of the relationships we have. And I think pre-lockdown, we're probably all guilty of taking a lot of those interactions and relationships for granted. So we'll start to value them much more. And then as a result of that, we will actually see our time alone as precious and valuable as well, um, rather than just being a sort of, you know, something that's been imposed on us. So I think that balance is going to be absolutely vital. But I can only hope really that we that we do come out of this thinking, well, actually, our relationships with our colleagues and even those with whom we have relatively weak ties are incredibly important to our life. And we do have to treasure them and we do have to make sure we look after and nurture them. They're not just something that gets in the way of us doing our own stuff. You yeah. know, there's this whole idea of sort of personal productivity. All of our colleagues and all of those people we interact with are there to actually help our productivity. They're not stopping us from doing our work, which I think is to a huge degree where we got to pre-pandemic. So we have to we have to sort of dismantle that whole um, set of assumptions. Yeah, no, I, I go back a few years ago when I was working in an actual office. And I think, you know, where people were maybe having distractions during the day and it'd be somebody coming and asking them a question, you could almost see the the fury on the face of how dare you distract me while I'm working. Um, and actually, I think that's that kind of culture, I think, needs to be a thing of the past. I think, you know, it's the we're all ultimately cogs in a, a machine that's you know making an organisation go around. And actually, if, if we're not in an organisation and happy for people to come and ask us a question, there's something wrong, right? And, and I think all the data that was being collected on workplace satisfaction pre-COVID was telling us something that we weren't listening to, which is, you know, it was all about sort of noise and disturbance. You know, the main factors, um, you know, in a workplace that we were dissatisfied with was, you know, people tapping us on the shoulder saying, have you got a moment? And we were trying to get on with our own work because every workplace was designed to do a bit of everything and we were expected to be there, you know, 10 hours a day. Um, and most workplaces only, you know, achieved the, the, the ability to do a bit of everything to, to varying degrees of success. Um, yeah. And so consequently, you know, the, we have to really look at, well, what, what is the workplace there to actually support and what is, what is valuable to support, what actually adds some value to the organisation and to us and to the teams we work in rather than just thinking it has to do a bit of everything. And that's why I think we ended up with years and years of debate about open plan, because, you know, open plan wasn't a solution that was designed to do everything. It had a, it was particularly good at some things and not very good at others. And if you actually look at just about every work setting in a pre-COVID workplace, really to some degree or other, the same is true because we were trying to make sure that it was the catch-all. It could do everything for everyone all the time. I'm really hoping that we've we've sort of somehow learned that lesson, that that's not necessarily a solution that's ever going to be sustainable. Yeah, and, you know, I can hear all the talk as well and assumptions from people at the moment of, you know, we'll, we'll go and concentrate at home and we'll collaborate in an office. And I think from my perspective, I do disagree with that because, that, that might work for some people, but ultimately the people that have got other distractions at home, it might be kids, partners, you know, they might want to go to an office to concentrate. How, how can you see that looking in the future? Um, I think we get sort of bogged down in a lot of these debates 
by thinking about it from the physical workplace perspective. And there was a there was a post probably almost 10 years ago that was just such a massive penny drop moment for me where it talked about the difference between management time and maker time. So management time is where we divide our day up into sort of half an hour blocks and we're constantly switching attention between one subject and another subject. And you know what it's like, it's like the sort of the little square that used to used to disappear in the middle of the television set you know when it was when it was shutting down it's the the last little half an hour that you had to yourself during the day someone calls or mails and says oh so you've got half an hour free and the little the little the little short little bit of light disappears altogether and that's it your day is blocked out with a whole series of attention sapping and attention switching activities but that's how managers tend to work that that is management time whereas maker time is um, is where we need to sort of lose ourselves in our thoughts. We need to focus. We need to solve problems. We need, we need to be shut out. And, and and what this particular post said, and it resonated with me hugely, was that you know even a half-hour meeting in the middle of an afternoon of maker time can actually destroy it because it destroys it with the anticipation because you know you've got a call or a meeting coming up. And then it destroys it afterwards because it's taken you completely out of the zone you were in in, in, in fixing the problem or, or, or creating or working on the idea that you were focusing on. So if we think about it in terms of um, management time and maker time, there will be appropriate physical locations for that in which to occur. Um, it's not a case of thinking that the physical home is the focus and the physical office is collaboration. The challenge we're all going to face is how we how we organize our time and organize our time collectively to ensure that we have both of those because from time to time we'll need management time and as i found this morning I've, i got my first bit of maker time all week this morning um <laughs> as a result of requesting that a few meetings get sort of postponed but from sort of 10 o'clock till one o'clock i got to, after the first meeting of the day i did actually get three hours of problem solving and thinking time where I cracked through loads of stuff that had been hanging around all week and it was blissful um, but we need that time too and, and we shouldn't be afraid or ashamed to, to block that time out in our diaries from time to time to say no this is really important and if I don't get this then I just get further and further behind or further and further sort of in disappearing under piles of things I need to do and I get no time to do them so I, I'm almost requesting really that in a way that we sort of separate the we think about time and we separate our thinking about time from from physical place because we'll all find the appropriate place to ensure that we spend our time in the right way yeah no, absolutely I mean I'm I, I can't wait to jump back on a on a train at four o'clock in the morning and have the first three hours of a day just writing you know proposals and things and having that thinking time and I didn't think I'd ever ever say that um, but why but why are you thinking about that at four o'clock in the morning because that sounds to me <laughs> that you're saying that you can't do that during the day because it's not the right time of day to do it but yeah. you know it's just as legitimate for that to start in the middle of the morning and go on till just past lunchtime rather than yeah. thinking that somehow all your management times in the day and the only way you can possibly get any maker time is to get up at 3 30 and get on a four o'clock in the morning train so yeah. i think we have to be fair to ourselves in all of this as well and and you know and be, be very open with our colleagues about what it is we need and what it is we need to do. You know, we, yeah. we shouldn't, you know, there's this, this sort of idea somehow that someone contacts you because they've checked your calendar and they say, I can see you're free on Friday afternoon. It's like, 
well, well yes, because I've kept it free. It's not free to fill up at your request because you have to notice that there's nothing in it. It's free because I've got things I need to think about and problems I need to solve. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I've, I've actually gone to the extreme now of hiding my calendar. Um, I've been asked a few times why my, my calendar is hidden. And it is for that reason, you know, I've got work to do in between meetings and, you know, we've had, I personally have had quite a few months, if not a year now of, of a lot of back to back meetings and then trying to juggle when I'm actually doing the work. Um, so, you know, it's it's about us putting our own boundaries in place, isn't it? And, you know, I think something that I've got used to over the last kind of few months has been that I I know that I'm, I'm best after 10 a.m. in the morning. So I, I don't have any meetings now before 10 o'clock. That's my thinking time. That's my actual concentration. It works best for me. Um, and like you say, it's it's adjusting. You know, we don't we we don't have to work nine to five anymore. Um, and I think that's the, the best thing that will come out of all of this is that people do start probably working what suits them. Yeah, I always got a bit sort of concerned that I seem to have my best ideas and solve the toughest problems when I'm at my most exhausted. But I don't, I'm always a bit reticent to push myself to the point that I can't see straight and I start to sort of start to slur my words and I'm in a state of semi-delirium. But somehow there's a little moment of inspiration in that. And uh, and um, there was a, there was a um, manifesto published by Bruce Mao, who was an architect several years ago. I, I love it. It's... Um, and, and somewhere in there, one of his little points in his manifesto was stay up late because strange things happen um, in those hours of the morning. And, and that's almost like the sort of experience I get sometimes when I'm hyper tired. And, and suddenly it's almost like that the seas part and there is the solution. And, I, and, and I'm, it's like you can almost imagine the screen or sort of your vision all sort of ripply. And you think, you know, it's, am I really seeing this? Because I've been searching <laughs> for this all day and I haven't found it. And here it is. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, we've, we've got to be fair to ourselves, I think, in all yeah. this and, and, and find what works for us. Yeah, I mean, we, I guess we can't talk about the future work without mentioning the, the hybrid word. Um, it's It's been kind of flung around quite a lot at the moment. Um, I mean, for we, we always get caught up, don't we, in that kind of definition wars within Workplace and FM of, you know, what does this mean and what does that mean? And I think the, the thing that um, has been put through in, the, in all the kind of media is that, you know, me, hybrid way of working is going to be ultimately about three days in the office um, and it'll be a certain few different days and it probably will be that people choose Tuesday to Thursday and I think on the ground that's not what I'm seeing is that what what have you what have you found? Um, I think there's lots of talk at a very very high level at the moment without people thinking it through actually um, and I think this notion of yes I just want to spend a few days in the office I think if you asked most people I'd be very surprised if anybody says, yes, I'd love to spend Monday and Friday in the office. Um, you know, most people are thinking about, you know, a longer weekend, not necessarily a longer weekend of R&R, &R, but a longer weekend in terms of, you know, I, I can, you know, because because Monday, the Monday morning crush is pretty awful. Um, I've always believed that you can see the sort of collective anxiety of people on a Sunday night, probably from space, you know, but, but essentially, you know, if we can somehow manage Monday in a better way, and then of course, by the time sort of Thursday evening comes, we think, oh God, you know, I just want to put the joggers and slippers again and work at home and catch up on a Friday. So we're, we're hearing about this sort of two or three days in the office. We're also hearing about a lot of organizations saying they're going to reduce their footprint and they're going to take out desks and they're going to put in more collaborative settings. Now, <laughs> what happens on Tuesday? 
you know, because what hasn't been thought through is most people are thinking I'm coming into the office on Tuesday, where there will be only half the number of desks there used to be and a lot less space than there used to be, and there won't be room for everybody. So, you know, we do have to think about what two or three days in the office means to everybody, means to teams. Are we going to start scheduling, mandating people coming into the office on days that they don't want to come into to get better use out of that portfolio of, or floor space during the week? Well, actually, you know, that's going to cause some some issues as well. And something I really should say about this that, that sort of that, that, that annoys me, I have to say, is this this automatic assumption that flexibility is a contribution to our well-being. Now, in this sense, you know, what we have to what we have to remember is that whilst we we've, we've been very happy to talk about, you know, some younger people generally can't physically work at home, therefore allowances have to be made. Well, when we come into this world where, you know, we have variable attendance and we're not sure where our colleagues are going to be, we're not sure where we're going to be. Most of what exists in the rest of our lives is not going to be hybrid. You know, we're not going to have hybrid schools where kids decide that they're only going to show up for two or three days a week because it feels feels like a better better school life balance. You know, we're going to be in a situation where everything else around us still has that certainty and still has to work to a plan, work to a regular schedule. So, you know, actually, what we're in danger of doing if we're not careful is basically telling everybody to be flexible in this way, telling everybody to work in a hybrid way, because that's how you're going to achieve well-being. And actually, all we're doing is we're loading up the stress, we're loading up the uncertainty, and we're actually making people's lives a lot more difficult than they were pre-COVID. There isn't an automatic association unless we do it in the right way. But just about everything I read, you know, it's all the arguments for hybrid are all about you know, improved and increased well-being. Well, actually, we're actually facing the potential that we're going to achieve exactly the reverse of that if we're not careful. Yeah, especially when we look at people are obviously struggling to shut off at the end of the working day, you know, without that boundary in place. You know, actually, if, if the workplace says, you know, these are the core hours, this is what we need you to produce in these hours. I guess if, you know, if there is that kind of boundary in place, it makes it much easier for people to get then that flexibility of, and having that well-being back because at the moment where it's a bit of a you know you you kind of look up and it's dark outside and actually you know and we sat at our desks far too long i was reading a study yesterday about actually the impact um of people like you know with the the fitbits and so and how many steps have actually reduced because people have been working at home you know at the start of the pandemic i think people were like great i can go for a run in the middle of the working day got to winter and obviously that changed pretty quickly um, for most people that weren't seasoned runners. Um, so, you know, I think there's a bigger picture without just assuming that just because you can work from home, you, your well-being is better. Because I, I don't think that is a, a direct connection at the moment. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, because a, a significant contribution to our work well-being is going to be that um, a lot of the sort of, you know, the, the minutiae and the trivia and the hassle in our lives is removed. Because very often, the cumulative effect of all of that is is a significantly increased level of stress. We actually want our working lives to be as easy, intuitive, and simple as possible. You know, we don't want to have to get up at 5:30 in the morning to book a desk; otherwise, we're not going to get anywhere to work. You know, we 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 just we we don't want to have such an uncertain schedule, and our colleagues to have such an uncertain schedule that we won't be able to sort of ever be in the same place at the same time because we're sending all these instant messages between each other, trying to organize who's going to be where at what time. Um, a very romantic picture is painted of, of this hybrid reality, but the, 
the actual hard work in in creating that is 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 you know is going to be you know you know monumental really in, in scale to actually get to the place that we've we've painted a picture of now it's fantastic having an objective and i'm all for having a sort of dreamscape effectively of a of a beautifully synchronized easy intuitive life where where everything just happens seamlessly um, I've never known it in in all my years of working, so I'm you know super excited about this happening in the next ten years while I can still take advantage of it. But you know, we also have to remember that you know hybrid is is out of our safe harbors. We've had two safe harbors: the one pre-COVID, where everybody went to the workplace for most of the time. Now we can argue that a degree of hybrid was already in operation because most of the utilization data we gathered suggested that these workplaces were only occupied half of the time. So where were people for that other half of the time? Well, they were sort of you know, floating around town, visiting other sites, visiting clients, et cetera. And we've also had the comparative safe harbor of everybody being in their home, which means that despite the local sort of you know, setup and practical concerns, everybody's been in the same boat. So we've had situations where we've had two safe harbors where we know that everybody is going through the same thing as us and everyone is in the same boat. So hybrid is not just picking the best of both. That's that's a mistake. You know, hybrid is a new thing entirely, which draws on some of the experience of pre-COVID um, sort of living and working, draws on some of the experience of, of sort of the the experience of prolonged periods working at home and also studying a lot of these organizations that we used to see as quite eccentric who, who've never had a workplace you know some of the conversations i've heard overheard sort of people saying you know well they've never had an office but imagine what they could have achieved if they had you know um <laughs> yeah. you know so so we've we've got this sort of you know we've got a reasonable body of knowledge to play with but actually creating hybrid is is creating something new we've never had it before there are no case studies there's no best practice to draw on we're all doing it together and everyone's in the same boat and we've all convinced ourselves collectively in this last year that it's the thing to do and it's almost like if you're actually raising any issues with it you're almost sort of somehow a reactionary you know short, you know get out of the way you know we're we're on this path to hybrid and it's all going to be beautiful and fantastic and you, and you're just you're just you're a dinosaur you're not getting it well actually there's a hell of a lot still to work out and there's a hell of a lot still to think through and the last point i'd make on this is you can't create a hybrid organization by going in at the workplace and I'm seeing a lot of talk in the workplace sector about the hybrid workplace. Well, the hybrid workplace is a necessary support for hybrid working, which is a necessary outcome and product of a hybrid organization. And it has to work in the order of hybrid organization, hybrid working, hybrid workplace. If you just look at the workplace and think you're going to change the organization through the workplace, it's not going to work. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, the amount of conversations I've had recently with people saying, you know, we want to reduce our property, we're going to a hybrid way of working. And, you know, this is from FM kind of contacts and real estate. And it's, you know, what, what's the conversation with the organisation about this? And actually, they've, they've thought about the space first. Um, and that that is a worry because, you know, we're going to end up um, in, a, in a right pickle if we carry on down that route, I guess. <laughs> Um, I call it sort of constructive chaos. I think I think that's what we're about to be stepping into. And I think it's going to be fascinating. I think we're all going to enjoy it enormously, those of us who are in the industry and been helping the industry for years. Um, but I think a lot of people are going to make a lot of mistakes as well as, um, you know, I, I think someone said to me the other day, you know, we're, we're all going to be sitting around in 18 months time and say, well, OK, who got it right? <laughs> Let's see if we can identify them. Yeah. I mean, um, some of the things that have come out, I guess, about, you know, organisations like Goldman Sachs, 
Um, I don't know if you've seen the the article that's come out today about the the 80 hour working weeks. Um, and obviously there was a thing a few weeks ago around how they wanted people back in the office and back at the desk. And you know the the reaction on social media today is, you know, how oh, how dare they? They can't they can't behave like this. They can't do this to people. And you know I think we could all sit here with an element of saying that's clearly you know not having a choice about where you work and working 80 hour weeks clearly isn't, isn't healthy to some extent. Um, but you know, he's got to go back to the organisation, the culture of the organisation. I think for me, it goes back right back to it probably feels like years ago for you. But, you know, the elemental workplace, you know, them key elements of having the choice. Um, and I think that's something that is um, is probably coming really to fruition now for many people. But we have to remember that choice is individual and collective. And as I mentioned at the outset, I think we've been unduly focused on our own personal choices. Um, we have to remember that if we are all exercising a personal choice whilst working in teams, um, we're going to need some means of ensuring that we're not just loading ourselves up with administrative hassle um, and, and huge amounts of frustration. Now, if you think back to the days when you did work in an office on a regular basis, how difficult was it to get a meeting with someone that you could see across the other side of the office, um, you know, during the course of the week, just two of you in a meeting, in a meeting room at the same time? Even Neither. that was difficult to coordinate. <laughs> so you imagine trying to do that with a team where we don't actually know where everyone's going to be during the course of the next week. Can you just try and imagine organising a meeting with a small number of people? Oh, yeah, I'm going to be on on Tuesday. No, I'm not coming on Tuesday. I'm in on Wednesday. Oh, well, you know, it's going to be about three months' time. It's going to be like booking a table at the Ivy. You know, you're going to have to book well in advance and hope that you've got someone to go for dinner with because you booked the table. So, you know, I mean, that's the that's likely to be the upshot if we're not careful with all of this because, you know, choice is fantastic and I'm all for it. And it was one of my 12 elements. But you can't, we can't just expect that the, that the, complete exercise of free choice on the part of individuals is going to result in anything productive at a team or a group or a community level without some assistance and some means of enabling that to happen. Yeah, I think it's um, it's got to be a quantified kind of choice within an element of boundaries because I think, you know, if we if it's a free for all, it's going to be chaos. Um, and I, I can see people now, you know, I can I can almost think of people that would be booking meeting rooms weeks in advance just to make sure that they've got one just in case they need a meeting. I can think of all the people that would be doing that. Well, we, we sort of, we kind of, I think what's been fascinating is it's, it's amazing how we've sort of erased the memory of what life used to be like, you know, um, <laughs> and, and the frustrations and the hassles that we used to go through. Um, but what will happen is if we're not careful is we will revert to behaviours and patterns of behaviour that worked for us in the past. Now, that could go either way, but it could be back into either of those two safe harbours. So we'll either say, you know what, this hybrid working, we just can't get the right people together at the right time. Everyone's coming back into the office on a five day a week basis and then we'll at least we'll be able to work as a team or it could just be, look, we've tried to organise this meeting, tried to get the same people in the room. We can't get everyone in the room because no one's in the same place at the same time. So let's just do it online and you can do it from home. Yeah. Because because it's, you know, one of the one of the key drivers of a fantastic workplace is it's got to be easy. You know, we've got to be able to intuitively respond and understand it. We don't want to read pages of instructions. We don't want a huge re-education programme in how to be hybrid um, and we don't want to force people to be hybrid where it doesn't make any sense either. 
you know yeah. it it will work for particular groups and particular sectors in particular industries it's not a blanket panacea that instantly delivers well-being for everybody you know there are a huge number of roles that just just it just doesn't it doesn't work for and it won't work for so understanding you know playing the right playing the right hand really where 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 it's going to be beneficial is going to be a really important part of this and not trying to develop you know one size fits all across the board solutions because people have read about it being a good thing to do yeah do you think there's um there's a an element that you know in an organization that you know some teams could work in a hybrid way whereas others would be more of the traditional way of working and I guess you know what what comes with that might be an element of resentment. Is, do you think that'll be the case? Um, I think it depends on how you tell the story, really. Um, I mean, it, it depends on whether hybrid is seen as a as a benefit. Um, if if it works for a team, and there will be a number of teams in organisations who it works brilliantly for. If it works for a team, and they're able to describe their they tell the story of their working life, their working day, and why it works for them, then it's you know. The sort of the, the same is going to be true of another team for whom a different arrangement works and they have to tell that story about their working lives and their working week and why that that arrangement is beneficial to them as well um you know if, if we start setting it up as a privilege or a perk or a benefit then yes it's going to be a hiding to nothing but if we actually are saying that we're designing work programs and the support we give and the technology and the space that's needed around the way that people need to work most beneficially um, and we're able to understand that, then yes, this is this is something that we can very easily um, and very simply adapt within organisations. But it's it's telling that story in the right way and making sure that everybody understands that it's been set up in that way because it's beneficial to those teams and beneficial to the organisation. Yeah, and you know, I've read something earlier in the week, and it said that um, 360 billion um, globally had been spent on things like workplace technologies to enable people to actually come together. Do you think that you know the the whole Teams and Zoom culture that we're in at the moment? Do you think this will will end? Give us some hope. Come on, I'm relying on you. <laughs> um, I think we'll still use all of these sort of collect connection technologies. I think they'll get more sophisticated. We'll probably look back in about three or four years' time. Oh, God, you remember during the lockdown? How rudimentary <laughs> and basic was Zoom? Oh my God, did we really work like that? You know, it'll be the it'll be the sort of telex of its day you know um so i think we'll probably we'll probably have that sort of reflection in time because i think these tools will only get more integrated i think the the issue they're facing at the moment is that lack of integration with all the other work process management tools that we have we, we're still sort of moving between one application and another even inside sort of popular you know sort of um sort of operating packages if you like we're still we're still switching when there's not a seamless journey through the lot and I think that's where it needs to improve. But I, I, you know, we were using these pre-lockdown. We're going to continue to use them post-lockdown. Um, I think the important thing to, you know, not to do is to consider them a, a sort of, you know, a catch-all for everything we need to do. Um, we're hearing a lot of very strange stories as well about sort of what people are doing to equalise the experience for those who are in a room and those who are not in a room. <laughs> um, and what and what that involves is not resorting to the lowest common denominator in every situation. You know, the, the sort of the idea of giving everyone a laptop and a headset who are all in the room because one person is is calling in from outside. I, I just I I I just don't get that at all. Yeah, I think you know we were um, almost approaching it. I guess with caution. I can see you know different organisations going at things with that angle. 
Um, and I think we've, um, yeah, how, how do we create that environment where everybody feels inclusive? I think, yeah, if we've got good technology, then people can be in a meeting room and some people can be, you know, on a platform. It shouldn't matter. But, but we were doing this before. I mean, I've, I've spent yeah, exactly. the last like 20 years dialing into meetings from various places. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when I, one of my previous jobs where I, I had a portfolio of properties in 33 countries, I couldn't be in the room all the time. Most of the time <laughs> I was the one dialing in from the UK and they were all sitting in a, in a European city. Um, yeah. you know, and that was just the way we accepted we needed to work. And, and on occasion I was in the room. So these people I had met, you know, we'd shaken hands and we'd we'd gone for dinner and all the rest of it. So we we knew each other and we'd we'd already started to build a relationship and a connection. But from time to time it was necessary to dial in to a call because it was expedient and the thing to do. Yeah. This isn't new stuff. And, and and there's a lot of sort of conversation going on at the moment. Like like suddenly, you know, you know, equalizing this experience is is, is suddenly a new thing. We've been doing it for decades. Um, all we have to do is just evolve that slightly to, to meet these slightly different patterns of work. Because really, let's face it, you know, most people are only actually going into an office four days a week anyway. If they're going in two or three days a week, it's not a huge shift for a lot of people. And if they're in two or three days a week, the onus upon them is to get as much of that face time and as much of that face-to-face -face interaction done so there's less pressure on them being out of the office for, for um, you know, less pressure on using this sort of technology when they're out of the office. But yeah. this is not this is not new experience for us. This is just something where we have to learn to adapt our usage of it over time. But some of the uh, this isn't this isn't the time for sort of, you know, really sort of draconian solutions to completely change the way we interact with one another. Let's yeah. let's evolve it. Let's try it. Let's let's let this adapt over time and let's find a way and a pattern that works for us. And that will be different in each organization. You know, yeah. it, it's just, you know, give it a try with what we have now and and see how it goes, because you might not actually need to change anything at all in, in, the, in the early, early stages. Yeah, I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm with you, and I think you know not only will it look different across different organisations, but I, I think it will look different across different departments and teams. I think you know the future is going to be is going to be at that level of ambiguity that we're just going to have to learn to deal with. And it's going to be interesting. You know, it's going to it's going to be fascinating to see how we do adapt to this. It's not something scary. It's actually something that's really interesting and, and actually yeah. quite exciting, really, to see how we. How, how we do learn to blend the, the the worlds we've known. Are we going to be successful with it? Are, are we not? Um, what innovations will come about as a result? Um, and, and who is going to be, you know, when, when we do sit around in 18 months time and say who got it right, you know, what are they going to have done to have got it right? Um, and, and I think that the, the absolutely vital part of all of this is to retain this experimental mindset. I mean, I talk about it in the elemental workplaces, um, term borrowed from software development of perpetual beta, but um, you know we're, we're not going to be successful without an experimental mindset, a preparedness to try things, uh, an acceptance that some things won't work and they have to be adapted. If we think we're just going to come up with a plan, implement it, and it's going to be okay, then then there's a huge chance we'll have invested our money in the wrong place and get it wrong. But if we if we're prepared to adapt and evolve, I think we 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 stand every chance of being hugely successful. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, part part of our approach is to kind of um, we go down the route of engage the people, enable them with technology, new ways of working, evolve through the data. And I think for me that that approach is something that is going to be quite crucial in the future. That, that element of learn fast, fail fast, go again. Um, we're not going to get this right the first time. And I think we have to accept that and um, be ready for it. 
and there's this sort of lovely idea of um, Trojan mice, um, of sort of <laughs> setting ideas running, setting things running. Don't wait to build the huge wooden horse. You know, you can yeah. you can set, set some ideas in motion now. You can try some stuff now. Um, you know, a lot of the sort of you know prospective clients I've interacted with have been saying, you know, we don't want to really make any decisions until everyone's back. And I thought, well, now is the time to start thinking about all the interesting things you could be doing. You know, if you if you wait till everyone's back, then your your biggest risk is of locking yourself back into old behaviours. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you actually start to set some of those Trojan mice running now, you've got a much better chance of something interesting and, and beneficial happening when when people do start eventually coming out of their homes and, and getting back into our cities. Yeah, absolutely. So let's um, let's end it with what if you could put anything into room 101. The whole, I'm gonna the last thirty years of your career. What what would you put in there right now? <laughs> um, I would put the manual utilization study in there. Um, I would put that 150 page report of of completely useless data into that into that 101. Um, I think the first couple of pages are usually quite useful and interesting, but most of what follows is of no use whatsoever. Um, I think with this experimentation that we're about to see in the future and that the need for this, we're going to need constant streams of data and constant analytics and solutions and the generation and the development of solutions, which can be tested and can be adapted and involved through this sort of this constant stream of, of processing effectively and understanding. Um, it's going to be absolutely vital. So this this idea of sort of someone coming in and doing these observations for one or two weeks and preparing a huge report and then going away, it has no place in in workplace planning in the future. I think it's been it served us well over the space of you know 10 to 20 years, but I think you know that that now is done. This is about this is about um, you know constant evolution and adaptation, staying up to speed with the organisation helping it evolve and grow as well and 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 being part of the leadership of that and with that we need tools that will and, and data and analytics and solutions that will help us to to move at pace at the same speed as the organization yeah no i totally agree with that and i could sit here and talk for absolutely hours um and um, yeah, it was re really good conversation and uh, hopefully you know this is part one and we can we can have a part two at some point as well Oh, thank you. I could too. Um, I feel like we're just getting going, so it's a shame to, yeah, be, uh, shame to be closing out, but uh, perhaps another yeah. time soon. Yeah, no, definitely. No, thank you very much. And uh, I'm sure everybody's uh, going to have enjoyed listening to that. And obviously, you know, if anybody has uh, not kind of heard of Neil, um, get yourself out of the rock and uh, have a read of Elemental Workplace, Elemental Change. You've got your, your various blogs, uh, very active on uh, social media as well. And, uh, you know, check out what Neil's doing as well with GoSpace AI because um, it's super cool. So thank you, everybody. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's a wrap for today. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this episode informative. And if so, make sure you subscribe to all our upcoming episodes and let us know any feedback you may have. You can also connect with our RICO experts and guests on our Work Together Anywhere series page. Head to insights.rico.co.uk and simply click register for webinars.